Hey, Travis Rogers here. When you're not listening to me on the Lakers pre- and post-game shows, tune in to The Experience with Laferne Cusack, where she goes beyond the play and focuses on athletes, fans, and the biggest events that inspire and shape our community. Listen to The Experience with Laferne Cusack, Sundays, 5 to 6 a.m. ESPN LA 710. Thank you so much for joining me here on The Experience. Happy to have you. If you have any questions or comments, please log on to ESPNLA.com and go to the podcast page and uh, shoot me an email or check me out on Twitter at Laferne Cusack. Today, we're talking getting in shape while getting a divorce. Is that actually possible? Let's talk to Susan Schofer. She's a certified divorce coach author of The Divorce Recovery Ladder, certified yoga instructor, TEDx speaker, and agency licensed private investigator. And we'll get into all of that. Welcome to the show, Susan. Thank you for having me. This is a pleasure. Now, you have a wealth of information, and I was telling you off the air that uh, the last show I did about divorce got a lot of great response and people that needed guidance and were asking a lot of questions, so I'm glad you are here. Let's talk about your background and why you got into helping people recover from divorce. Well, I went through my own divorce, and one of the things that happens when we go through divorce is we're overwhelmed. We need to find an attorney. We have to think about, are we going to stay in the house? What about the kids? What about my job? Are we going to, there's so many things that we have to think about. And what we forget is us. And most of my clients come to me with a barrage of things that they're hit with all at once. They feel overwhelmed. They don't know which way to turn. They're confused. They, they're, they're depressed. They feel anxious. And rightly so. Divorce is a life-changing event. And I always say, let's talk about you. Let's talk about taking care of you first. Mm -hmm. And And people are shocked. They're shocked. (laughs) Well, they've been in relationships and maybe they haven't taken care of themselves. They're focused on the family, the husband or the wife and the kids, and there is no self-care. Exactly. You, You hit the nail on the head. And the person who they take care of last is themselves. They even take care of the cats and the dogs and and the rabbits out in the pen before they take care of themselves. So oftentimes my clients will mention things like, should I talk to my doctor? Should I get maybe something for anxiety? And my answer is always, why don't we start with a 10-minute walk around the block? And of course, I get some strange looks, but it really (laughs) is basic. It's very basic. And when we talk about self-care, people immediately, or at least a lot of my clients, their minds race to, oh, my goodness, she's going to tell me to join a club and go there 20 hours a week. No. Oh, well, if you want to join a club, that's fantastic. How about taking a yoga class? That's great for relaxation. It's also good for your muscles. It's good cardio, believe it or not. And Or take a dance class. I've had people come back and tell me they joined a ballroom dancing class and they're having the time of their lives and or they're, comp- you know, they're doing competitions. I've had people come back and tell me they're now running marathons. The resounding, the resounding theme is it got them through their divorce. It, 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 I know it sounds very panacea, but it really does work. Susan, tell me about your background and what you did when you went through your divorce. Well... I got up every morning at 4.30, and I'm not telling your listeners they have to do that, but for me, I knew that with my work and the kids and the responsibilities that I had, if I didn't do it at that time, it wouldn't get done. 
So I got up at 4.30, and I worked out every day for an hour. And I had videos. I didn't go to the gym. I had videos. I, I practiced yoga every day anyway. And I made sure that I did that every day. And then I added running to the mix. And I started running a couple miles, and it went to four miles every other day. And I still run. This is over a decade, and I still run every other day. I work out every day. It just has become part of who I am. And I've had clients come back and say, you know, Susan, it's sort of like I wouldn't go through my day without brushing my teeth. I don't go throughout my day. I won't go throughout my day without running two miles through my neighborhood. It really does become part of your day. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I did, and it became a habit. And what and it did get me through my divorce? The stress levels were lower. Uh, I made sure I ate well because I realized if I didn't do that, what good would I be? If I'm, if I'm a train wreck, what good am I for my children? So before this, were you you weren't working out or anything? Or were you concentrated on your family and not yourself? Well, I I practice yoga. I practiced yoga for many years, and I and I danced when I was younger, and, and uh, ballet and tap and those type of things. And I did work out, but when I be when I became separated, this would have been the thing to take off the list. When you start to prioritize, or a lot of uh, my clients will tell me, you know, I used to work out, but I can't anymore because. So, the the truth is, this is the thing that should come to the forefront, not be taken off the list because everything else gets prioritized. So I remind people, no, this is not being selfish. This is actually being selfless. Mm. Because if you are sick, if you are depressed and you can't get out of bed and you're overwhelmed, you are no good to the children. Right. If the children see somebody who feels well-rested and energized, I mean, we all know about the endorphins, and there were many mornings I got up at 4.30, it's dark, I'm on the East Coast, it's cold, I don't want to get up and do this. But then the endorphins kick in, and I just felt charged and energized for the day. And this isn't just me, my clients tell me this all the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So once you started doing this and incorporating health and fitness into your life, that experience got better for you. And it was more, you were able to manage it better. Hands down. Hands down. Absolutely better to manage it. Nothing felt so overwhelming because I felt good. Mm -hmm. I worked out. I took the kids to school. I was ready for my day. And sometimes we get really, with a divorce, we get really tied to the minutiae the little things start to get at us or even the big things. And we just feel overwhelmed and it really helped me. Nothing felt too much for me to handle. And I attribute this to working out every day. People consistently ask me, well, what really, really, what was it? And I say, if I didn't work out every day, I I would not have gotten through this. There are a lot of emotions that go into it. And like, I'm going to get the dog. No, you're not. You're not going to get the dog. I'm going to get the dog. You know, and things that you would never think that is a priority now becomes this is mine. And sometimes people won't let go of a fight. How do you go about approaching that when someone comes to you for help? Well, I have a mantra. And my mantra 
and I and I cite this in my guidebook as well as with all my clients, and that is you can't control another person. You can control how you react to what they do, and you surely can control what you do. And what I mean by that is the other side, the ex, who you spent your entire life with, may throw you some curves, and you have to deal with it. And it's how you deal with it, which is, or, or how that's going to evolve. So if you want to fight about the dog endlessly, <laughs> you will have an endless fight with the dog, mm-hmm. <laughs> or about the dog. If you look at it with a, a, a fresh set of eyes, understand to try to understand what's going on with the other side, and then realize you can't change what they are going to do. And what I find is that people who feel overwhelmed, they feel exhausted, they feel anxious, don't handle those situations well. When they take care of themselves, and that is through eating properly, not overdoing it with sugar or sugary drinks, drinking enough water, just being hydrated properly helps. We all know how it feels when we haven't had enough water. We get cloudy. By the end of the day, we feel a little lightheaded. Just simple things that we, that, and are simple. We don't have to go to a therapist and spend five, five to six years in therapy to figure out just some very simple basic things to keep you energized. And so once you feel better, you can deal with these problems easier. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you will get shot with them. There's no doubt about it. Some divorces are easier than others, but even the easy ones are emotional. Right. You are dividing up not only a life as you knew it, but the dreams that you had. Right. Those have now been, been side, they've basically, basically been shattered. Mm-hmm. So people get stuck. They get stuck in the woulda, shoulda, couldas. And they get stuck in, what am I going to do now? It really is overwhelming. Uh, several of the experts who, who have uh, done research in divorce say it takes about three years to get your sea legs back, so, so to speak. And so when I'm with people, I'm in that three-year three window and typically in that first year. So that's why I hearken back to take care of yourself. You've got a ride ahead of you. Your whole body and soul, it all has to be aligned in order for you to get through this difficult time. There's no doubt. And I have so many clients who've come back to me and said, Monday night, I go to art class. Tuesday morning, I have yoga. They give me their schedule. And (laughs) the tone of their voice is so different than it was three months prior. Oh, that's great. It's like they're finding themselves again. Well, they have. They definitely have a skip in their step, and mm-hmm. and I'm so proud of them for doing that because some of these people were really just shattered. They some of them have with, with the term runaway husbands. They woke up one day. One woman told me her she and her husband just got back from a, a cruise. He he. They were talking about the retirement. And she came home from work, and there was a post-it note on the refrigerator, and he said, I never really loved you. I'm leaving you. Uh, What do you do with that? (laughs) And so she was completely shattered. Now, of course, my response wouldn't be to her at that moment in time, well, let's work out. Why don't we have a workout (laughs) program tomorrow? But, (laughs) But we worked through some of the things 
that she could do over the next few weeks. And then we talked about taking care of herself. And it really worked for her. She, she really, she started walking around her neighborhood because it was hard for her. Mm-hmm. She had a hard time walking around her neighborhood because she said, I have to look at my neighbors who used to see my husband and I walk together holding hands. And now they're like, well, where's, where's your husband? Hey. And she has to explain, he walked out on me. And she said, that was her first thing. I'm going to walk around the neighborhood with my head held high. And then she started running. So she runs marathons now. Wow. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And, and we don't keep in touch a lot because this was a while ago, but she really did it. And a lot was taking care of herself. And she was determined that at first that she was going to get a therapist, which she did. And she thought about medication. Nothing's wrong with medication. I'm not here to say not to take medication, but she really didn't want to. And she chose to walk. Walking was her thing and it turned into running. Well, a lot of people feel feel when, you know, they get a divorce that they have failed at something and, um, a friend of mine got divorced and she totally like isolated from everyone because she felt like such a failure. And I was like, no, well, it's not only that, but when you do things as a couple, very often Saturday nights, you go out as a couple with other people that are couples. And so what I hear a lot of is every Saturday night, my husband and I, or my wife and I, we went out with three other couples. We've done that for 12 years. We've done that for 22 years. But what happens when they're divorced? Sometimes, not all of the time, but the people align themselves with one person, not adversarially, mm-hmm. but it's just, well, they hang out with the husband. So now, and the husband and his new girlfriend, which is even worse. Mm-hmm. So now the, this, a woman feels not only isolated, but completely replaced, right. not only replaced by the new woman in his life, but the friends have basically replaced her too by accepting the new woman. So... It really, you're right, it's very a very isolating time, but it doesn't have to be. And we don't want to stay in that isolation, and we don't want to live in that isolation. Right. And that's, that's the key here, not to wallow in it, to get out of the story and move on. And, and taking care of ourselves is the foundation of that. Right. If we're not taking care of our, ourselves, nothing else can, can work well. Nothing else can happen. Mm-hmm. You have to have a clear mind and you have to feel well and you have to be ready to take what's going to happen over the next few months or even one or two years. And I do say that to my clients. This is not an easy road. Right. Let, you know, let's not sugarcoat this. It's not an easy road. Susan, so how do you go about helping them find someone to go through this with them? Or like maybe family members, or how, how do you approach that? Well, we talk. I talk about that at great length in the guidebook, and there's checkoffs for you know how to find a support system. Many people have a best friend, and that's fabulous. Sisters, brothers, parents that they can commiserate with. I do, as I we've been talking about taking care of yourself, and that that extends out beyond just working out and physical activity. It's getting involved maybe in a class or doing some travel groups. I've had so many clients tell me that their ex didn't like to travel. They always wanted to 
go to Cuba or go to Europe. And I'm like, okay, what's stopping you? And they realize, wait a minute, nothing's stopping me now. There is a shift sometime during this process where people realize, you know what, I really like where I'm headed with this. I'm doing things now that I always wanted to do that I didn't, for whatever reasons. We we don't lay blame on on the former spouse because this is really about this particular person's journey. Mm-hmm. Without sound, trying to sound contrived, we really want to get them to be their best self. And that's what I do as a coach. I don't tell them what to do. I guide them to find what is best for them. Right. And a lot of people are like, well, just tell me what to do. Well, if I tell you what to do, you won't grow as a human being. I feel it's like you have to take the next steps. You have to have the willingness to grow. Is is that sort of your approach? That that is my approach. If I tell them what to do, what am I telling that them what to do based on my experience? Well, that's not their experience. Mm-hmm. So, again, it's about finding their best self. Now that journey's not easy, and that's what we as divorce coaches do. We help them on the journey. If it's the financial end where somebody may come to me and say, you know, my husband used to handle all the finances. I don't know what to do. Well, we pull out pen, uh, paper and pencil. We talk about it. And we talk about, well, what, what, do you think of what, do you, what do you think is going on financially? And then we talk about what they can do to find out where their finances are if they are not sure. So we guide them that way. If they want, and we, I mean, we cover everything. We mm-hmm. talk about support, support systems. Do they want to support groups? Do they just have some really good friends with whom they can speak? Do, are they in therapy? Is that an, uh, an avenue that they want to take? We, again, talk about diet, exercise. Uh, sometimes they bring up dating, and I'm not a dating coach. <laughs> we talk about that. <laughs> no, not at all. And uh, so we, we, don't talk, uh, we do talk about that. Some people go to jump into relationships right away, and maybe that's not a good idea to do while they are still mired in their own divorce, and maybe they're exhausted anyway. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it takes a lot of energy to start a new relationship. Oh, my goodness, we, right. <laughs> and so we talk about that. We talk about just refreshing their home. Uh, one woman came to me once, and she said, I walk around my house, and I see the pictures of my ex-husband, and I say, take them down. <laughs> you don't have to cut them out of the picture. Right. You don't have to draw a, a mean face on him. But take the pictures down, put them in a box, put them away, make some new pictures with friends and your family, and look at these at another time when when it's not painful, if you even want to. I'm, I, I've had clients where they could not imagine putting those pictures away. They did. A year later, they're like, you know what? I put those pictures in the attic. Two years later, like, you know, I just pitched them. You know, so oh, it, and I mean, that's oversimplifying, but I have had people say that. So we move them through the stages as they are ready to be in those stages, mm-hmm. give a little nudge and help direct them if they feel as though they're floundering. No, but no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't tell them what to do. Right. You know, this is really about uh, that journey for them, for them, uh, and a journey that. I mean, it's it's just a guidance. It's sort of like if, if if you're going on a hike and you don't know where the trails are, and you have somebody ahead of you, they aren't hiking for you, but they're just guiding you through that through the trails. Mm-hmm. And that's what we do. And that's- yeah. So Susan, 
what are some of the things that you come across that a lot of people are asking about? What are some like burning questions about the aspects of divorce that I do not know or some people may not know? The number one question, the biggest one is, <laughs> what do I do? Now, mm-hmm. once we get past what do I do, the number one thing people want is to find an attorney. Because divorce is legal, it's a legal procedure. You, you're, a divorce or marriage is a legal contract, and now you are dissolving the legal contract. And so they want to know, do, I, do they need a lawyer? Can they do this without a lawyer? Can they use an, a mediator? So we talk about, and it's complex, it can be, we talk about, well, what is the situation? If, it's a, if, if I'm presented with a couple who are 22 years old and they've been married a year and they don't have any property, that divorce more than likely will be less complex than a couple who have been married 35 years. Right. They have three Children, one is still in college, and they own four vacation properties oh, and a home. Wow. I mean, obviously, <laughs> that will be more complex. And also, they have more years together. There is more history. Mm-hmm. Throw into the mix if one of the people gets contentious and they begin to create conflicts within the process. So we address that as we are going through it. So that's the first question that they ask is about an attorney. The second is usually about money. And the third is about the children. If there are children, what is going to happen if there are children involved? So those are the, those are the top three. And let's get into uh, the children. There's a lot of parents that go through parental alienation. Can you talk about that and how to cope with it? Parental alienation is really complex, and that's one area that we specialize in. And it is parental alienation is when a parent tries to basically erase the other parent in the eyes of the child. And so, and that is a parent that the child always had a wonderful relationship with. So we will have clients who will say, I, I, I got along with my daughter beautifully. We were the best of friends. And since the divorce and my, she's with my ex half the time and me half the time, now she hates me. She won't talk to me. I, I've tried to communicate. I send her cards. They, they get sent back. Uh, she, won't, she didn't invite me to her graduation. So it is almost a complete severing or an attempt to sever the relationship between the, the once beloved parent. Mm. And that's a tough call because that is something that they do need legal help with that and and unfortunately when we see things like parental alienation we start to see a, what i call a gaggle of professionals whether it's custody evaluators best interest attorneys for the children parenting coordinators a team comes into place and the only way that this can be thwarted is if those individuals have an expertise in parental alienation. Anything short of that, trouble can loom. They, they really, because it, it, it is something that is not typically handled well unless those experts, the attorneys and the therapists and the guardian, the license or best interest attorneys, parenting coordinators, they, they need to have a specialty in parental alienation mm. if that's occurring, if that's occurring. 
Wow. Yeah, that would break my heart. <laughs> That's it is. And and it and it's a very complex situation and it but it happens very quickly. And that's what really throws people. They, it, it hits them before they know, even know what ha- has happened. The relationship with a child turns. It's also a challenge when you have teenagers, because even under the best situations, teenagers will say things like, you know what, I hate you, Mom. I'm really sick of you today. Right. <laughs> or something like that. It's, it's not unusual <laughs> to hear that. I know. <laughs> so... <laughs> So sometimes with parental alienation, the parent may feel as though this is just typical teenage angst, but it's not. It's not because a, a, a teenager who says to their parent, I hate you because maybe they failed a science test and now you don't let them go to the dance. Two or three days later, they don't hate right. you any longer, <laughs> especially if they want the keys to the car. Right. But, but when it comes to parental alienation, this is an increased hate, rejection, and also accusations maybe of abuse or neglect of this beloved parent that never even happened. So there's definitely an indoctrination by the parent who's doing the alienation to then for those children to turn or those children are being indoctrinated to then turn their back on the other parent. Wow. So it it is it is uh, pretty intense. Now, can't. And if somebody's dealing with that, we do walk them through that and talk with them about getting experts in this, in this, what I call, you know, again, gaggle of professionals. And, and sadly, this happens with divorce sometimes. So I don't want your listeners to think it always happens. But when it does, and they do need this force behind them, they do need people who understand and have not only understand it, but have experience and expertise in the area of parental alienation. Yeah. Hands down. There's no wiggle room. Susan, you were telling me that you went to, it, was it a conference about par- parental alienation? I did. I went to the parental alienation study group. Uh, they had a conference a couple weeks ago, and it's very, it was very compelling and very intense. And, you know, they, they talked specifically about parental alienation for three days. So, as I mentioned, it's, it's a complex situation. Were there, anything, were there any topics or points that uh, took you by surprise? No, because I've been doing this a long time and I'm familiar with what, I, what, what was said that particular day. What I do know is that the manifestations with parental alienation are pretty clear cut. They're across the board. It, it, it's, it's there, they, these eight manifestations are pretty much um, agreed upon by everybody, meaning clinicians and attorneys who specifically deal with parental alienation. So what I, what I really liked while I was there is, is the statistics and the studies that have been done. Also, some people who were, who were presenters who have experienced it and haven't seen their children in decades, and the pain and the cost, of the emotional and the financial cost that they painstakingly went through to try and regain a relationship or even try to communicate with their children uh, was, was heartbreaking to hear. So it's the resounding theme was 
We need more education on parental alienation, and more importantly, when somebody is going through it, they must have the professionals behind them that specialize in this. Because the the experts, if you have an attorney who specializes in parental alienation, they get it, Mm -hmm. and they know how to present it to a judge. If you have a therapist who understands parental alienation, they see a parent bringing only one parent bringing a child to therapy and the child says, I hate my other parent, my other parent's dead to me, I don't want anything with that parent. I mean, come on, you have to see what's going on here. Mm -hmm. The alienating parent is bringing in a child who apparently is being coached or they're being persuaded to believe something that's not taking place. If there is a therapist, if you're bringing a child to a therapist who has been trained in parental alienation, they see that within seconds, within minutes. So this can be stopped with the experts. And if you have experts very early on, and there are people in this, and there are clinicians who who get this and do this. This is their area of expertise. So the story does not have to be grim. What do you... We direct people on how to find those experts. What are some warning signs that we can look out for? Well, there's several. There's eight manifestations. The first is a once beloved child no longer wants to see or talk to the other parent. Number two, that the child will start to blame the parent. They will, they will hate that parent. And studies show that children who have been truly abused still want to be with their parents. These kids will say things like, I hate dad. I don't want anything to do with dad. He's the worst dad in the world. He took me to Hawaii. He didn't let me have my favorite food. And for that, he's dead to me. What? And so they really have a playbook why they hate their parent. They also feel justified for it. They they make no bones about it. They will tell anybody listening to them. They they, they get on their soapbox. "I I hate mom, and I'll tell you why. Children who have been really abused are very quiet about it. They don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. They, they almost feel like they are responsible. So you have that going on. Also, these children start to sound like they start to parrot the parent who's doing the alienating. I've had clients say to me, you know, my, my, my 15-year-old is starting to sound just like my wife and, is, and complaining about the things my wife used to claim, complain about. And so they will also say things that you know they are being I don't want to say coached, but maybe coached, but they are being influenced. They will, if a seven-year-old says things like, really, you know what? I hate my mom. She spends all of my dad's money. She didn't have to redecorate the house. Really? Did she have to put a pool in the backyard? Mm-hmm. Seven-year-old doesn't talk like that. <laughs> oh, I mean, where, where's that coming from? Right. And it's not just something like that. Or I hate dad's girlfriend because you know what? You know how many girlfriends he's had before this one? And the child's eight. Oh, that's so sad. Okay, so you hear that. Also, and this is really tragic, and I've heard grandparents speak, not only does the alienation hurt the other, the parent who's being alienated, but it also extends to grandparents, aunts, uncles, sisters, brothers. Yeah. And that's the real tragedy. When you talk to somebody who says, you know, my brother and I were best of friends, and he hasn't talked to me in two years. Mm. But isn't that child abuse? Yes. It is. And the ICD-11, and yes, and, and things are changing as we speak, that uh, there is a definition that 
parental alienation is a form of child abuse. It is. It hurts the child. There's not there. There's just, and the statistics are out there. This is a form of child abuse, hands down. And so these, these children, they, they believe you know, whatever, whatever they're taught. And, mm-hmm. and it's tough. And it's, and it's hard for the parent who's being alienated because they don't know what's going on. Right. Well, how do you, you, don't know. How do you take a, a parent through that? That would break my it's heart. It's really a challenge. It's a challenge because, and I can't speak, I can, I, I can speak in the general because mm-hmm. every case is very different and some are very much mired in a lot of money. This gets to be very costly for litigation. Uh, many times when you sit down with alienated parents and if it's been going on a while, they have files upon files. Boxes upon boxes of filings. They've been to court, uh, injunctions, protective orders. The laundry list goes on. And that's why I, what we do, or what I do, my clients, if we are starting to sniff out parental alienation, I really highly suggest that they get into the hands of an attorney, therapist, who this is their specialty. Anything short of that, I really need to impress upon people that they. They have to speak with somebody that specializes in this. Yes. To avoid the boxes of papers upon papers and litigation. Because here's the thing. Time marches on. Wheels of justice move slowly. And so time marches on. So there's a year, there's two, there's three, there's four. When you have a seven-year-old child who's being alienated, alienated four years march by, they're now 11. A lot of years have been missed and a big portion of their lives. So if mom's not in their life from 7 to 11, mom sort of disappears. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe new mom is now in the picture. Maybe mm-hmm. dad's remarried. And, and I've had so many people tell me, my ex has the kids, my kids call his new wife mom and call me by my first name. But I... No, 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 that's not okay. So again, I can't impress upon people enough. They need to get an attorney. They need to get a therapist for the children who understands, and their specialty is parental alienation. Not they think they know what it is. Mm -hmm. They have to not only know what it is, have a lot of experience and training in it. This is ESPN LA 710. I'm Laferne Cusack speaking with Susan Schofer. She's a divorce and custody ally, certified divorce coach, author of The Divorce Recovery Ladder, certified yoga instructor, and agency licensed private investigator. Let's get into that. What does that exactly mean? Agency licensed private investigator. How does that move into all that you do? Well, that's what I did for two decades, and it's a wonderful pairing for becoming a certified divorce coach because I had a lot of experience testifying in a courtroom, and my clients are getting ready to be in a courtroom. If not in a courtroom, definitely in a, in a judge's chambers or in mediation, dealing with attorneys. I mean, this is they are entering the legal realm. Mm-hmm. Many of my clients have never been to court. And if they have, maybe it's for a parking ticket. And family court is very different from even just a regular, regular, even though it's part of civil court, it's very 
different than just going to court for something, a civil matter, and it's different from criminal court. So many people don't even know how to approach that. So this, this is a nice pairing. Sometimes people say to me, really, certified divorce coach PI? And I no, no, it goes hand in hand. Yeah. So you teach people how to uh, approach the system, but also how to present evidence as well? Yes. This is all in the guidebook. We talk about gathering evidence if they need it. If you're in, if they are in a high conflict divorce, they don't want it to go to court and say things like, my ex threatened me with an email and not have the email. Or my ex said this terrible thing to my daughter in a text and not have the text. It seems very basic, but I can't tell you how many times people walk into the courtroom and say to the judge, I didn't bring it. And the judge goes, where do you think you are today? (laughs) And so so that's number one. Number two, we talk about, I call something, I I use the acronym, I call it ACE, A-C-E, and that is uh, attire for the courtroom, conduct for the courtroom, and etiquette for the courtroom. Because there is a way to behave and there is not a way to behave. And it is not a way to to behave that that will hurt your case. And I've seen people who are, wonderful and but they get in the courtroom and they they start yelling at their ex over the attorneys and oh whoa, whoa. <laughs> and it, you, you can't do something like that because the judge is getting an impression of you just based on where what's happening in the courtroom so if you start to act a little crazy you're going to look a little crazy mm-hmm. so we talk about how to behave in court even about how to dress in court I've seen people sent home because they're in a little top and a pair of shorts and flip-flops. And I know that sounds like who would do that, but I've seen that. So we talk <laughs> about no jangling earrings, no jangling bracelets, no gum chewing. It sounds basic, but if somebody doesn't have court experience, and many people don't, we go through the whole checklist. We even have pictures in the guidebook. Here's a, here's a way to dress. Here's a way not to dress so that people are completely prepared. Sometimes attorneys will go through this with their clients. Many times they don't. A lot of my clients say, my attorney just said, make sure you behave tomorrow. Oh, my gosh. Behave tomorrow. That's that's a a very big umbrella. (laughs) (laughs) Behave. Let me see. What fits under that? (laughs) Exactly. So we say, listen to the questions. Listen to it in your head maybe once or twice before you answer because right away we, we are so quick to want to answer the judge. And then we realize, uh-oh, we didn't want to say that. But now that's just been, that's just been recorded. Oh. Everything you do is in court is recorded. And so we talk about that. And when I work with my clients, I spend a lot of time with them. Uh, preparing for court and mediation. Some people never make it to court. They go to mediation, but there is a way to behave in mediation also. Yeah. Let's talk about that mediation. So that, uh, talk about how we get to mediation before and avoid the court system. Well, sometimes it's, it's not to, to avoid there. And what I'm hearing, and I can't, every jurisdiction is different. I want your listeners to know that this is not all encompassing even within a state, every state is broken down into counties or protonotaries or jurors. Well, however, it's broken up in Louisiana's parishes. 
And what they do is each jurisdiction is in and of itself its own fiefdom, so to speak. And so I tell people they need to familiarize themselves with their own uh, jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's really about uh, mediation. Most courts now will recommend that people have mediation before they go to court, and sometimes it's required. So you meet with a mediator. Sometimes they have a law background. Sometimes they have a a social work background. They should have training, and more than likely they do if they're working for the courts. They have some kind of certification or they've taken 12 hours or 15 hours, whatever that jurisdiction requires in mediation. And they basically try to hash out or iron out some of the issues that the couple is dealing with and diffuse it so that they can come to some kind of agreement and then go to court. And sometimes that works. <laughs> right. And so, Hopefully, and right? It doesn't. Right. Hopefully. And, and sometimes the buck stops there. Other times it doesn't, and they still go to court or they still dissolve their marriage or in the judge's chambers. Either way, they're in the courthouse. But that mediation can diffuse a lot of the issues that they're dealing with, and it doesn't cost them as much as if they're there in the attorney's office fighting it out amongst the attorneys. So mediation can be wonderful and really knock a lot of this out of the park before it goes any further. But if it doesn't, then you're definitely with the attorneys. And if they, you do knock some things out of the park, then you can go to your attorneys and go, guess what? Here's what we want to do with the house. We are in agreement. Here's the parenting plan we want with the kids. We are in agreement. And the, and the lawyers are like, this is great. It's a brow wiper. Mm-hmm. They draw it all up. They go to court. You're divorced. Have a nice life. Mm-hmm. And that's in a great world. And the great world does happen. Right. When it doesn't, okay, now the lawyers kind of come in and say, okay, you went to mediation, that's not working. Now we have to ramp it up and whatever they have to do at that particular point, whatever they're dealing with at that particular time. But mediation seems to be something that has caught on, and and I hear it taking place just about everywhere. doesn't mean it is everywhere, but it it seems to be pretty prevalent. Susan, have you found that one specific, one spouse may have more money than the other and is able to, uh, I don't know, influence more than the other to gain more of an advantage? Yes. Yes. And that's that's all the time in a high-conflict divorce. So what do you if do you about that? If you have a high-conflict divorce, oh, okay. it, you... If you have a high-conflict divorce, one person will be more advantaged. That, that just is part of it. But I talk about that with our clients. We talk about how somebody can be high-conflict or somebody can have more money in a high-conflict divorce, and that doesn't necessarily mean that the other person has to lose their shirt. Right. And it really is about the attorneys being able to diffuse it. Now, with your investigative skills, uh, do you are you able to help in that aspect? I, I don't actually no, no. Okay. Uh, well, my investigative skills are yes. I mean, I can 
I don't do it for them. If you're asking, do they hire me on as an investigator? I don't. I think that's a conflict. So I wouldn't do that as being a divorce coach. What I would do is tell them certain things they can check out if they think money is being hidden, if their ex is, is hiding assets. That is something that I would instruct them to have their attorney. There are people that are forensic accountants. I mean, I've had clients come to me and say, my ex, I believe, took money out of our joint account and bought a boat. Now he has the boat somewhere. And that's something that they could bring in a forensic accountant or bring in their attorney to start seeking that out. And that's out of my purview. If they ask me to investigate that or look for it, I would not. Okay. Not because I couldn't do it, but because that's not what I'm hired for as a divorce coach. And I think that would be a conflict. In fact, I know it would be. Going through a divorce, how do you help someone maintain control for themselves? Well, going through, you can't, you can't, I guess we've discussed this, we can't control another person. So if somebody is hiding assets, if somebody is alienating your children, if somebody is stalking you, well, there's things you can do in different situations. If somebody's hiding assets, your attorney can get a forensic accountant. Forensic accountant is somebody that can be paid, obviously, by you, the client, meaning my client, if they think there's, there's hidden assets, who actually checks for that, okay. who, actually, who actually, they do, the, that's where their work, to find hidden assets, to find if, if money has been withheld somewhere, if it's in banks outside of the country, those type of things. As far as parental alienation, that's a whole other can of worms. That's when you bring in therapists and attorneys who understand that. As far as the person controlling themselves, I mean, that's that's what we tell people to do. You can't stop other people, meaning the other side, obviously. You can't stop that person from hiding assets. You can't stop them from wanting to alienate the children from you. What you can do is recognize it, know it for what it is, and get those experts that can help you. I get a lot of clients who didn't do that, who thought, you know, he's not really doing that, or I I thought he was, but no, he really wasn't. Mm -hmm. And then what happens, now they have alienated children, or now they have assets after the divorce that has been hidden. I do want to mention one thing here, and that is anything that happens in the divorce, once the divorce is over, you cannot modify any of the agreements you made except for child support and custody. Mm. Those can be changed. But anything else, that's really it. It's hard to go back. So that's why we work with our clients very early on to assure that they go through what I call, I have it, what's called a five-day expense chart so mm. that they can pull their assets together, know what they have, so that when they go to the bargaining table, they're very clear about what they, what they have and they know what they want. And if they think that there's been any kind of withholding of assets, they get all that done and ironed out before the divorce. Because after the divorce, if they find out, there's nothing they can do about it. Mm, right, right. And I, I love how you said, okay, yeah, you don't have any control over the other person, but you do have legal control. You can 
there are resources out there that will help you in this divorce. That's mm-hmm. very important because a lot of people may feel helpless. Like, oh, I don't know what to do. He has, he or she has more money than me. I'm not going to win this or some other, you know, self-degrading type of thought process. Well, the other thing too that I get a lot of, if he would only stop this or about their wife, you know what, if she would just stop saying this to the kids and I just go, look, we, we, you can't stop that. And that's the biggest part of my job, getting the person out of the story, getting my client out of the story and getting them to their best life, getting them past that. A lot of times the other person is doing what they want because they're getting a rise at it. You know, you have kids, you know how you say that old adage, negative behavior still gets results. Mm -hmm. And so if the child's acting up and you keep saying, stop, it's you're giving them attention. Well, sometimes if you, if you ignore that, it'll go away. (laughs) And sometimes it doesn't. Now, obviously my clients have to know where their finances are. They have to get that all ironed out. That's not something I can do for them. That's something that they do for themselves. We give them the guidance and the tools they need to find that out. And then from there, they can just knock it out of the water. They take it to their attorney. Attorneys love us. Uh, and a lot, of, a lot of attorneys don't know what a, a, a certified divorce coach is. But when I tell them what a certified divorce coach is, they really do love it. Mm-hmm. Because they spend a good chunk of the initial part of their relationship with their clients trying to figure out what is going on. And they hear the story of he did this and she did this over and over. And they have to charge their clients for this time. Mm-hmm. And they spend also a lot of time Where do you have this? Where do you have that? When we are done with our clients, we send them off to the attorney. Attorney's got an easy job or relatively easy job because our clients know what they need out of their attorney. They they make sure that they understand what the communication is with their attorney. More importantly, they understand they they understand uh, the child how the child support is going to or the or the maintenance monthly maintenance if they're if there is any. They understand their custody arrangement. They know where their finances are. They know what their expectations are. We talk about what are their expectations, what's reasonable, what's not reasonable. I mean, I've had people come to me, first thing they say, I want the house. I want the house. He left us. I better get that house. I want the house. And we talk about what is it about that house that you really have to have? No, seriously. They're like, you don't understand, Susan. I have to have I have to have that house. My kids grew up in the house. How old are your children? Eighteen and twenty one. Well okay. How many bedrooms? Six. Oh my gosh. And we yeah, we 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 will talk about what it is about the house that you want. And by the time they're done, they're you you know, and I and I start with do you have the money to maintain that house? Right. Have you thought about the lawn? Have you thought about that pool? Right. Have you thought about have you thought about when something breaks down and they go, mm. yeah. wow, okay, maybe a two-bedroom condo and yes. a den would not be so bad. You know, exactly. so, so we talk about those things because they come in with a very specific playbook. This is what I want. This is what I need. And we find out, well, what is it that you want? What is it that you really need? And the shift is tremendous. And what they come into us with, I better, better have, I need this, I want this, turns into something very different at the end of our 
two or three or four sessions together. Well, and then they walk into their attorney's office, mm-hmm. and they're ready. They're raring and ready to go. Yeah, they're uh, fully prepared. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I hope. <laughs> if not, I haven't done my job, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, uh, okay. So now we we talked about we talked about a wide variety of things, and I thank you and I, I appreciate your time. Of uh, let's talk about the yoga aspect of bringing into uh, bringing yoga into your life can do a lot of things, both mentally and physically. Tell me how mm-hmm. yoga changed your life. I've been practicing for 25 years. Wow. So it's just, I don't think it's changed my life. It's been part of my life. Mm -hmm. It's been part of my life. And so when I did go through my divorce, it just was part of my life. And it, it, there were times where I could just, I mean, I practice every day. So it, it really was part of what got me through. Yeah. And there are some some thought thoughts that go around saying that a lot of uh, anger and a lot of things that you experience in your life are stuck in your muscles, and you know they get triggered, and that's when the anger comes out. Did you do you find that to be true? And if so, how do you? Oh, of course. I mean, there were definitely times where I was entrenched in practice, and I thought my shoulders should be here, but they're up over my ear. <laughs> <laughs> right. So definitely, we, we definitely put tension in our bodies. There's no, there's no way around that. We do. And so, and I'm not the queen of Zen, not by any stress, <laughs> which is why I do practice yoga every day. But that said, it really was fantastic in, in getting me through my divorce, post-divorce, raising at the time, teenagers, my children are now in their 20s, uh, and, and getting through that. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. All right, Susan, can you give us some tips, top tips before you go of how we can come back to ourselves and make this divorce a healthy moment and change our lives for the better? This is what I say, and I and I don't want this to come off Pollyanna. I personally, I'm happier than ever. (laughs) And I have people who were so upset and so they could never turn their life around. And I don't even know where they are now. They're traveling. (laughs) So there is, it, it is hard. Divorce is hard. Again, what you thought your life was going to be has changed. The dreams of what you thought your future was going to be has, has changed. I almost, the analogy I use is you get married and you have a whole trajectory. House, children, this is a person I'm going to grow, grow old with. I've had so many people say, I always envisioned ourselves holding hands in rocking chairs. Mm. The end of the story has been rewritten. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean it's the end of your story. Right. You still have a great story. And you can make the story fantastic. There's things you have to do. You have to recognize that this is not fun. Divorce is not fun. It can be, in fact, it will be a learning experience. As a divorce coach, we, or divorce coaches, we can bring you 
you know, walk you through the best path so that you can, or the path to get to your best self. And it really is a journey of realization. And if one takes care of themselves, if one is open to new beginnings, and they don't have to be major. This isn't about gut your house and redo everything. I mean, just go into the bathroom, take down the towels, put new ones in with different color mm-hmm. motif. There are simple things people can do. You don't have to climb Mount Kilimanjaro, mm-hmm. but you can jog around your block. You can take a class. There's so many things that people can do to get to their best self. And this is just a transition period, but it can be done. And if you are running into snags and things like parental alienation, as we've discussed, there are experts in that area. There are experts that can assure that that can be stopped. Awesome. Thank you so much. And how can we find out more about you and get your book, The Divorce Recovery Ladder? Well, you can come to my website, which is www.susanschauffer.com. Also, my uh, guidebook is available on Amazon through our website. You can contact me. Any of your listeners can contact me, email, and yes. I will respond. I don't have anybody do that. I stay up late at night and I respond to people. We are on Facebook. Another thing I do want to mention, we are starting two classes in January and they are once a week where people can sign up and they can come to our website and or through Facebook. They can sign up. We have one that will be 12 weeks called the Divorce Recovery Ladder. The things that you and I touched upon, mm-hmm. we go into detail. They get some guide sheets, and what we do is every week we meet for about an hour and a half, and it's a group. We do it through Zoom, and if they want to put their face up and participate, they can. If they don't, that's fine, too. And we talk about one week we talk about taking care of yourself. One week we talk about gathering evidence. We talk about one-week courts. We talk about custody. So we address all these issues, and that's 12 weeks. And then we have another one that is six weeks, and that is primarily, and not primarily, it is only parental alienation. So this is really exciting. So that starts in January. So they can sign up for it on our website. They can contact us and communicate with us. I also am available where they can talk to me personally for 20 minutes, and we can talk about that class, see if it works for them, and get them on board if they want to do that. So we are here for whatever anybody needs when it comes to divorce. We are the one-stop shop. (laughs) Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for sharing your life. Thank you so much. Thanks, Susan. You know, Susan got into the best shape of her life during her divorce, and you can too. You know, you can stay sane. You can stay healthy during a divorce. She did breathing, yoga, meditation, eating right, and change your environment. And again, for more information, you could go to SusanChauffeur.com. That's S-H-O-F-E-R.com. And again, thanks again. And I will see you next week here on ESPN LA 710. ESPN LA 710.